Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. I'm going to start this morning a little bit different, okay? A little bit different. I need to ask you a question, and we're going old school, okay? It's called Flannel Graph Gospel. We're going back to the old days of Sunday school, okay? And so my Sunday school teacher, I introduced her to you last week. Her name was Mrs. Church, and she would always say, okay, boys and girls, I need you to put on your thinking caps, and we would make this little motion of putting on thinking caps. So I need you to put on your thinking caps this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. Here's the question. What does a compliment from God look like? That's a good question. What does a compliment from God look like? And I'm going to go a little Oprah this morning. I'm going to ask the audience. Audience participation. Anybody know? Just hold up your hand. What, what do you think a compliment from God looks like? Oh, Anna's got one. Here we go. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Pardon me. Yes, Miss Anna. Satisfied. Satisfied. Okay. Satisfied. There we go. You had one, Williams? Confirmation. Confirmation. I like that. Anybody else? What is a compliment from Scott? Here we go. Scott. A gift. A gift. I like that. I like that. Laura's got one. My husband. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. All right. Learn, y'all. Learn. That, that is, we can have an invitation now. And uh, Laura, my wife didn't have that one. She didn't even raise her hand. So do you do marriage counseling after this? We, we may need to connect. All right. All right. We had one more over here. Did you have one? A blessing. Oh, a blessing. I like that. A blessing. Okay. I saw one way over here. You guys are going to make me get my exercise, my steps in. Let's go over here. Oh, there we go. Okay, all right. I like that. There we go. All right. Here we go. We got one more. I'll take this the last one. Last one. Here we go. What does a compliment from God look like? Here we go. A man that finally treats me right. Oh, there we go. There we go. This turned into a marriage seminar. That's what this thing turned into. I like it. It's February after all, and uh, Valentine's Day is Wednesday. But what does a compliment from God look like? And it's good that you all said these positive, wonderful things. I like that. Don't lose that outlook because today's message may rock your perception of what a compliment from God looks like. So this morning, I want us to take our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter number 22. And as you're turning there, and as you have in your mind, what does a compliment from God look like? You see, some of you aren't sure God likes you or loves you because you don't know what his compliments look like. You see, my wife knows I don't just like her, but I love her because I compliment her. Now, I don't know if any other men have this thing. I'll say, oh, you look good today. And she'll say something like this. You have to say that. Any other guys get that? Am I the only one that gets that? Like, like. I have to, and I was like, no, I want to. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it, okay? Guys, we don't speak a lot of words, all right? And so we, we, we use them sparingly. But yet, I compliment her because I want her to know I don't just like her, but I love her. However, some of you question whether God loves you or likes you because you don't know what his compliments look like. And this morning, we want to see what God's compliments look like. Because some of you are looking at your life, and all you see are trials and tests. And you think God hates you. You think you're alfalfa. 
and the clouds parted, and God looked down from heaven and said, Alfalfa, I hate you. And some of you, that's how you feel. One day, I had a conversation with Jane that didn't go well. I thought we were breaking up. And I said, I got to go drive and preach somewhere. And it was pouring down raining. And as it was pouring down raining, I get a flat tire. And I was thinking, just great. You know, I got a flat tire. It's raining. Jane's unhappy. And then just that moment, you just feel like this is just loserville. However, I want you to see a different perspective because I, I am concerned this morning because I hear way too many Christians say things like this, never pray for patience. How many Christians do you know? Don't raise your hand if you've said it, but you heard somebody say, you ever heard somebody say that? Yeah, yeah. I worked at the Bill Rice Ranch all throughout my high school years. And in 2002, I was at the ranch and we had a Bahamian pastor who was on summer staff his name is Cranston Knowles. He pastors a church in the Bahamas. And he was just a wise man that I would always talk to. I loved his insight. I loved his perspective. And so I was talking to Cranston. And Cranston said, Micaiah, is there anything I can be praying for you for this summer? And I said, yes, pray that I can be a good servant. And then he stopped me. And he said, now, Micaiah, you do know that if I pray for you to be a servant, God's going to give you opportunities to serve. All of a sudden, I was like, yeah, that, that, the two go together. But yet he prefaced it like it was a warning. And I'm kind of tired of Christians that we're afraid to ask God for patience. We're afraid to ask God to make us servants. We're afraid and we're fearful of the future and we're worried. And then sometimes you and I, we say this. Why me, God? You ever said that on a bad day? Why me? Or have you ever said this as you looked over another brother or a sister who's going through a trial and you're like, I'm glad it's not me. Thank you, Jesus. All right. However, let's flip the logic. Let's flip this argument for a second. You see that same dear brother, same dear sister roll up in a brand new car. And what do you say? Why not me? You see them get the promotion. Why not me? You see them get married, why not me? You see them get engaged, why not me? You see them happy, why not me? Isn't, which one is it? In one moment, you're glad it's not you. In the next moment, you wish it was you. Do you see how you confuse God? Do you see how you can be a little bit, shall we say, hot and cold, in or out? You're, you're, you're not sure. You're kind of, can we say bipolar a little bit? And this morning, I want you to stop wishing as if things won't happen. Because some of you this morning are wishing things won't happen like that's going to stop it from happening. Because you wish for it. This morning, I want us to once again realize that some of you think you're going through stress. And you think you're going through trials. And you think you're going through difficulty, but I want you to see from the life of Abraham, you're actually going through something really good. You just don't know it yet. Your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 22. I'll let you take a little rest. Now, out of respect for the word of God, can we stand? And let's go to Genesis 22. And I want to look at this. 
you're going to have four and a half hours to sit this afternoon. And so I'm going to get you up and down and exercising and getting in shape before the game stretch out. Genesis 22, verse number one, the Bible says, after these things, God, what's the word? Tested. I love that. Two people helped me out this morning. I know you're going to cheer this afternoon, so help me out. After this, God, what? He tested. That's right. He tested who? He tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. You see, God is doing something. And many of us would say, I feel like God's correcting Abraham. No. You see, this crisis is actually God's compliment. God looked over everybody, and he sees Abraham. In verse number two, it said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and after him and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went with him the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place from afar, Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am. He said, behold, the fire, the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. May God bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, would you bless this message? Would you use it to stir and convict hearts? We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Once again, I told you we're gonna go a little bit old school just for a second, okay? So God comes to a man. His name is... Abraham. This is always my favorite part in Sunday school when they broke out the flannel graph. I'm telling you, we didn't have projectors, but we had flannel graph. Come on, flannel graph. And God appears to this man by the name of uh, Abraham and tells him that God wants him to offer his son Isaac. Now, how many of you remember the story of Isaac that God had promised Abraham that he would have a son? And Abraham was getting old, and he said, there's no way I can have this promised son. And so his wife, Sarah, suggested that he sleep with her servant girl and have a child through her. And they did. They had a child. His name was Ishmael. And that's Abraham stepping out of God's plan and trusting that even though Abraham was old and that Sarah was 90 years old, that they would still have this promised son. So God had told Abraham, just trust me. But then God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham, I want you to go to the Mount Moriah. Now, I don't have a lot of time, but I love this story because God 
puts a lot of Easter eggs in this story. You see, he tells Abraham, offer your son, your only son. There's another man, and he had a son, an only son. His name is God, and his son's name was Jesus, whom he offered as a sacrifice. And so Abraham's offering his only son, goes to the Mount Moriah. The Mount Moriah is only mentioned one other place in Scripture. It's mentioned when David builds the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem. Jesus is also going to be crucified near the temple. Many scholars believe that where Abraham offers Isaac is not just in the vicinity, but it is the exact location of where Jesus was going to be hung on the cross. But that's not the only picture. We also see that the Bible tells us that Isaac, he's not a young man. We apologize because Flannel Graf didn't quite get it right. A couple of things Flannel Graf didn't get right, okay? First of all, uh, the boy is not quite blonde hair, but he's got very light skin and blue eyes. Can't see it from there. So it's just the way the old Flannel Graf worked, okay? But those biblical characters were not white. However, he's going to offer him on a stone, and then he takes Isaac, who they picture as a boy. However, the very next chapter, the Bible tells us that Sarah dies at 127. But she had Isaac at 90 years old. So Isaac is probably anywhere from the vicinity of 30 to 37 years old. I would dare say that Isaac, not only was he offered on the same mountain and, uh, and where Jesus was sacrificed, I would argue that Isaac actually is probably about 33 years old. I think all of this is a picture pointing to a future event. But then just before, and this is where this story, I mean, this, this became, went from uh, uh, G to PG-13. This is where it got violent, y'all, in Sunday school. All of a sudden, we saw that knife, and we were, we were glued. We're like, oh, man, what's going to happen with this knife? Actually, the knife should probably be pointed down, I guess, like that. And, man, when we saw that, we were, as little kids, we were like, we couldn't believe. And, and if this is too violent for everybody, you can, you can avert your gaze, you know, flannel graph. It could be quite traumatic. And so here's Abraham. He's about to offer his son Isaac, but then God does something. A voice from heaven says, stop. And there is a ram caught in the thicket. A ram caught in the thorns. A ram caught what I would dare call a crown of thorns. This whole story is a picture of a future event. However, this whole story is the greatest test of any father. Any father in here, when it comes to your children, there's very little you would not do for your children. And so for God to come to Abraham, this is a huge test. And many of us are stepping back, looking at our life, and we're saying, God, I think you don't like me. I think you're upset with me. I think you're bothered by me. Because you see your crisis as God correcting you, and you don't see your crisis as God's compliment to you. You see, God is complimenting Abraham because he knows Abraham will be obedient to whatever God asks of him. This morning, you and I are wondering, what does a compliment from God look like? It looks like a test. It looks like a challenge. It looks like a crisis. It doesn't look like, oh, I got a husband. Oh, I got a blessing. You think that's what the compliments look like. And if you think that's what the compliments look like, then what happens when your husband dies? What happens when you don't get the blessing? What happens when you don't have the job? What happens when the car does break down? What happens when there is divorce? What happens when you do go through a job layoff? Is God no longer loving and caring about you? 
You see, you can't look at every good thing as those with the compliments and every bad thing as the correction. You see, God takes it and he says, no, the trials and the difficulties, those are my compliments towards you. The ones where I know that you can handle it. So this is the big point. The point is this, that pressure that you're under right now is a privilege from God. My mother-in-law is a dentist. And I don't know if every dentist does this, but the dentists I've seen, they're famous for this. They put the metal in your mouth and they start looking around and they start tapping and they start poking and they start prodding. And then they say, we need to fill a cavity. And before we fill a cavity, you know what they got to do? They're going to bring that drill. They got to bring that little drill. And then all of a sudden you're going to hear just this sound. And it seems like your whole head is just vibrating and everything's loud. But then before they drill, they do something. They're going to give you a Novocaine shot. And I don't know about your dentist, but every dentist I've ever seen, they do this one thing. They say, you're going to feel some slight pressure. Why is it they don't just tell you the truth and that you're actually about to feel a little bit of pain? But even my doctor has the same trick. But at nearly 40 years of age, all of a sudden, I'm getting wise to this, this, this pressure, this pressure that they say. I want to remind them of their Hippocratic oath. Do no harm. You lied. That's pain, not pressure. And some of you this morning, I need you to understand that that pressure, that pain that you're under is actually a privilege because not everybody gets to go through what you're going through. And I know this morning you say, but I don't want to go through it. And I know because I've been in those exact same seasons where you say, God, why me? Why not her? Why me? Why not him? There's a whole lot of other people that I would love for this to happen to. But yet I need you to see that you and I too often were afraid and few Christians, this is why we don't progress far in the faith. It's because we don't want to experience pressure. You see, your progress is connected to that pressure. And so this is why we have a lot of, you're growing physically, but emotionally and spiritually, you're not growing because you will not allow yourself to go under and through any pressure any difficulty. And this is why we're seeing an emotionally and spiritually stunted next generation because we have isolated them from any difficulty. We, we kid and joke that we took out the monkey bars in the playground. We kid and we joke that we took out that uh, merry-go-round of death where you get the biggest kid you can to spin that thing as fast as you can and you hang on for your dear life and then you end up going flying off into the circle, you know, and, and we look at, we've made people softer. However, pressure is good. You see, you and I, why are we afraid of the future? Why are we afraid if we ask for prayer? Why are we afraid when we pray that we say, God, give me patience? Why are you afraid of that? You see, you and I, we are afraid of that because we don't truly believe that God is with us. Because if you knew God is with you, that means whatever you go through, he is there. And he's walking through this trial, this ordeal with you. And that God saw fit to compliment you with this difficulty. Out of all the people, he said, yes, I've given this to you. And it's horrible and it's horrendous. And you wouldn't want it on anybody else. And people have asked me, would you ever to go through all that you've been through in your life. And I would say, you know what? I wouldn't want to necessarily choose it, but I wouldn't want to change it either. Because it's made me who I am. It's brought me to this moment. You see, God knew, just like Job, Abraham would be obedient. God knew ahead of time. 
You see, the reason your spiritual growth is stunted is because you are you, you let fear paralyze your potential. You're so afraid of what God may ask you to do and going through it. And some of you can't sing, I'll tell of his faithfulness. Because the moment you get in a trial and a testing, instead of seen as a compliment, you do what I sometimes do. I complain. I complain, God, why am I having to go through this? God, can you just make it all stop? Can you just go away? Can you just wave a magic wand and make it all perfect again? Can you just make things better? As I look at this year, I need to prepare our church. This is going to be a wild year, church. And you and I, if we have this perspective that the only time God is good is if good things happen to us, that means you've turned God into a genie that you get to dictate how he does and what he does. And you don't see the bigger picture. That if he didn't spare his own son, how would he spare us? Understand that God is going to allow us to go through these difficulties. And here's the biggest takeaway I hope you get this morning. You don't know what God has put in you because you never test that part of your life. Some of you just don't know exactly what you're made of because you never go through anything. Because as soon as the relationship gets rough, you bail. As soon as you don't like the boss, you're out. As soon as that job gets too intense, you bail. As soon as that church gets uncomfortable, you're out. As soon as life gets stressful, you self-medicate. You run from any pressure. You run from anything. That is the ill of today's society, that there's a quick escape. You can charge it. You can self-medicate. You can smoke it. You can snort it. You can sleep with it. You can buy it. You can travel it. You can do drink it. You are constantly trying to escape something that God is saying, this is my compliment for you because it's not that I need to see it. It's that I'm trying to show you who you are. And some of you, God has put so much inside of you, but you just keep running from it. You just keep running from it. And you don't see the pressure as a privilege from God. Not everybody gets to go through this. Not everybody gets to plant a church in the Bay Area, the hardest place in the country to plant a church. Not everybody gets to be a part of a church that buys land and builds a $12 million building. Not everybody gets to be a part of a ministry that says, we aren't all the same color. We all are different ethnicities from different backgrounds, from different groups, and we all come together. And what unites us is not the candidate. What unites us is Jesus Christ. What unites us is not our geography. What unites us is that Jesus died for each of us. What unites us is not some affiliation. We are united together because of our fellowship in Jesus Christ. And he's the one changing me to be more like him. Not like you and not like you, but I want to be more like Jesus. And that's the goal. And he does it through this pressure. This week I taught in an elementary chapel and I gave him Play-Doh. And I threw out some Play-Doh and I said, play with the Play-Doh. And getting elementary kids to play with Play-Doh is easy. They love it. And then I went to the junior hires and I was only left with brown Play-Doh. And I was like, this is bad. Junior hires and brown Play-Doh, I know what they're going to make. I just, I already know. I'm just right on their level. I knew what they were going to make. And I said, isn't Play-Doh moldable? You can just shape it anything you want. And can I say this morning, many of you, we're exactly like that. We're so moldable. We're so, we can easily be pressed into a mold. But God wants you to be pressed into his mold. But so many of us, we are afraid of God complimenting us. We're like, God, I'm glad you like me, but don't like me as much as you like Job. Have you read the end of the book of Job? God gave him double for his trouble. 
my son Cain asked me this. He said, Dad, would you drink coffee that was filtered in a stinky sock for a million dollars? Yes, I would, Cain. <laughs> Dad, would you eat a homeless man's toenail for a million dollars? Dad, would you drink out of the... Okay, just stop. Just stop. Let's just... You and I, if we're honest, we would do some crazy stuff for seven zeros and a one in front of it. But yet you and I don't have the faith to believe that a good God who loves you, who sent his son Jesus, who said, I'm gonna put you through this, but on the other side of this, you're not only gonna know more about how good I am, you're gonna know how great and how, how much I put inside of you. You see, some of you, you haven't even reached your potential because you don't go through the pressure to let God build you. You don't stay in that life group, you don't stay in that relationship, you don't stay in your word, you don't stay on your knees. It's the moment things get tough, you're out. And God's like, I gotta get you to stay here. I gotta get you to live here. But maybe you're thinking this. Maybe you're thinking this. Hey, I'm not prepared for the pressure. Hey, I'm not prepared for that relationship. Hey, I'm not prepared for that responsibility. Hey, I just don't think I got it. I'm just not prepared. Question, church. You're a smart group. You've been tracking with me. Verse 1 and verse 2. God comes to Abraham and says, I want your son. But in verse two, let's put it up on the screen. God does something that I don't know if he made a oops, a mistake, but he says something. He said, take your son, Isaac, your, what's the next word? Pardon me for a second. How many sons does Abraham have? I heard it. He has two. He has two sons. Who was first? Ishmael. We got some Bible scholars in the house. There we go. I like it. There we go. All right. You guys sometimes have me nervous, but you guys know your word. Amen. That's good. All right. Gold star. All right. On your sticker chart on the way out. He has two sons. See, God was preparing Abraham. You say, what did preparation look like? God always prepares you for the pressure. You see, how many sons did he have? He didn't have one son. He had two. So where's Ishmael? Why is God saying this is your only son? Well, we got to do a Bible study. Got to go back one chapter. Chapter 21. Got to go over verse number 10. You see, chapter 21, verse number 10. They just had Isaac. Ishmael is bothering Isaac. So Sarah says to Abraham, you got to get rid of this guy. I can't take it. I can't deal with it. The scripture tells us that Abraham was grieved in his heart because this is his son. As a matter of fact, in chapter 17, Abraham prays to God to say, make Ishmael the blessed line, make him the promised son. And God says no in chapter 17. And now we're in chapter 21. And Bible says that Sarah said, get rid of Ishmael. It grieves Abraham's heart. But the Bible tells us that God confirms the word to Abraham. And he tells Abraham in verse number 12, be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. You see, this crisis is conditioning to the bigger compliment. You need to catch something and track with me for a second. You see, it's easier to send a son away than it is to sacrifice one. 
Let me say it again. It's easier if you got to send a son away than you got to kill him. Here's the test. God was already preparing Abraham in advance. You and I say, God, I would never be able to to handle it if my spouse passed away or if I got sick or if I lost that job. God, I would break down and I would lose it. Don't you think God as your good father has been preparing you? Don't you think God knows the future and he knows what he needs to put in your future so that you are prepared for that future? Write this down if you're taking notes because note takers are history makers. You see, God prepares you for what he has prepared for you. God always prepares you for what he has prepared for you. And so make no mistake that your God who loves you is preparing your future in advance. He's in our tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen. And he knew, Abraham, you're not going to be able to sacrifice a son if you've never sent a son away. And Abraham had a hard time sending a son away. And now God can say, take your son, your only son. You see, God had been preparing him. God had been preparing him. You see, you have to learn how to let something go before you know how to let something die. And some of you don't know how to let anything go. And this is why God can't put to death that wrong relationship. God can't put to death that wrong addiction. God can't put to death that wrong thought pattern. God can't put to death those wrong thinking, that wrong behavior, because you won't ever send something away, so you're not ready to let anything die. You hoard it. When I was growing up, you get into things, right? And you hide things. And I had a briefcase. I don't know where my parents gave it to me, but in that briefcase, I could set the combination. That's where I'd hide everything. Anything I didn't want siblings or parents to see. And in our household, you were not allowed to play RPG games, role-playing games, Final Fantasy VII specifically. And I was big into gaming. And I was like, yeah, this is a great game. And I was excited about it. And so what I would do is I would have to hide the game in this briefcase from my parents. I'd have to hide it to keep it away from them. And then my parents would be like, no, you got to get rid of that game. But I was already three quarters through. And back in the days of CD-ROM, how many remember the CD-ROM dating myself? There was four CDs to this game. Well, I'm three quarters of the way through. Okay, mom and dad, I'll throw away some CDs. I already beat three quarters of the game. I just got one CD left. So I took those three CDs to my parents. I was like, here you go. Turn in my wicked, devilish video game. Here's three CDs. Here you go. But like Aiken, I hid something in the camp underneath the tent. This is mine. And some of us, we wonder why we don't have victory because you're holding a little piece. You gave up three quarters of it, but you still got that piece. And God's saying, hey, send that away because otherwise if you don't send that away, you won't know how to let the rest of it die. You're holding on to these things. And God wants to see things that, that, that aren't good for you to do away with those. We're running out of time, church. Go to verse number seven. I love this. The Bible says, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. I I, I take this as the crisis, how you handle it becomes contagious. How you handle that crisis becomes contagious. You see, he viewed it. Abraham viewed this trial and he said, God's going to provide. Abraham didn't know that there was a ram caught in a thicket, but Abraham had the belief that, you know what? I'm going to go through with this thing. And God let it get so far that he tied him up, laid him on the wood, and he was about to end his son's life when God says, stop, and says, there's the ram. Understand this. You need to persevere when you're under pressure. 
Persevere when you're under pressure. That pressure is a privilege. God has prepared you for that pressure. But understand, you need to persevere because some of us, we like to get rid of pressure, don't we? I like to work out a little bit. And I go to the gym. We got some people from the gym. And I like to do my movements real quick, just quick. Just get in and get over with it. But one of the trainers, he'll tell me, Micaiah, you're not staying under the pressure long enough to do any good. He said, when you are doing that back squat, you go too fast. You're not building the muscle. He said, you need to go slower. So I started to go slower and it hurt worse. And he said, I need you to go even slower. And I said, then you do it. I'm done. (laughs) And it hurts so bad to stay under that pressure. So this morning, I'm not going to lie and say that pressure is easy. I'm not going to minimize that pressure that you're under. But the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, persevered through the cross, despising its shame. And I love this part. Why did he endure the cross, despising its shame? Because the Bible says that he had his eyes on us. He could endure because he saw a vision. He saw you and I liberated from sin, liberated, free. And he saw through the suffering. And this morning you have to see through that suffering. You have to see through to the other side where God gets all the glory where God takes all the pain and he redeems it, where God takes that pressure and he uses it. You see, Abraham didn't give priority to the problem. He gave priority to the promise that God said, I will have a son. And if I have to take this son's life, God will do it because I've seen his faithfulness. I've seen his goodness. And church, you need to start seeing God's goodness. You need to start going through this time and say, God, okay, this is difficult. God, this is hard. But God, I know that I want to be able to one day on the other side of this have a testimony. But to have a testimony needs I need to be tested. And I now see this this test as a compliment from you, that you saw fit to give this to me, that you know that I can handle it. Because we have to believe that God can do it. That God can, can do it. That God can do the miracle. That God can restore the relationship. Do you believe that God can do it in your life? Because you act as if he can't. So every time you get into a difficult spot, you and I, we like to freak out and not like the song. We do a different type of freak out. We freak out and I don't see you for six weeks at church as you relapse. We freak out and you go crazy on your loved ones. We freak out and we don't get in this word. We freak out and we isolate ourselves. It's because we don't know that God can do it. You see, God is like, I can put a ram there. I built every ram there ever was. So I can put one in the thicket. I can do this. I could take care of your bill. I could take care of the medical condition. God can do it. And you and I have to have the faith this morning that says God can do it because God has done it. And that's where you go back on is your past is when God has done it in your life. You may not see the promotion as what God has done, but take that and say, God, you provided for me in the past. This financial bill, you're going to take care of it. 
You've been sick before and God took care of you then. You've been down and out before and God took care of you then. You see, you got to believe that he can do it because he has done it. And then you got to believe that he will do it. Our faith doesn't just look backward, but our faith looks forward. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We look forward. We're not a backwards looking church. There's a reason race cars don't have a rear view mirror. They're not supposed to look backwards. They're supposed to be looking forwards. There's a reason the church is supposed to be looking forward and not backwards. There's a reason we don't use flannel wrap anymore. This is kind of backwards. We go forwards into the future that God has for us. God has so much more, but you and I are living in the past. You can't love what is if you're wishing for what was. And God has so much more for you in your future. However, you and I are resisting all that God wants to do because he has to prepare you for that future. And you're not ready for it. And God is saying, I got such great things. Here's the powerful thing as we close. Verse 15, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And as the sand that's in the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I like that ending. And I'm sure that Abraham liked that ending because God takes him back to the beginning at the end. He said, remember Genesis 16, when I found you, Abraham, when I called you out of Ur of the Chaldees, what did I say to you in chapter 16, Abraham? I said, Abraham, right now you're old and you think you just got your nephew Lot. You just got your aging father. You just got Sarah. You think that's all there is to you? I've got so much more inside of you. I got an Isaac inside of you. You just don't know it yet. You're looking for something else, but I've got an Isaac inside of you. And that Isaac, through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seashore. See, God can do more, but you've got to believe. Somebody asked me last week, Pastor, you have faith? I said, I got the faith of a mustard seed. Is that enough? Because it was enough for Jesus. I said, okay, I guess that'll work. I said, okay. I guess you have more expectations than Jesus does. Okay. Hey, church, you don't have to have a lot of faith. Just a mustard seed. You say, okay, God, this is a compliment. This is a crazy compliment. Can't you say my hair looks nice and the sweater is slimming on me or something? Can't you say something like that? But God is doing something in your life that everybody around you will see. And they're like, man, Look at how they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Look how they fear no evil because they know his rod and his staff, they comfort him. And this morning, as you and I walk out of here, we can have that confidence because we don't confuse the crisis as correction, but we see it as a compliment. But it's more than a compliment, church. It's God's confirmation. It's God's confirmation that you're on the right track. And some of you aren't sure, am I on the right track? Is, it, is this how it's supposed to be? And God's like, you're exactly where I want you to be. Not anywhere else, right here. You see, God's compliment to you is his confidence in you. The actor Martin Short lost his wife in 2010 to ovarian cancer. 
they had a few children together and they were young and she passed away suddenly. I read Martin Short's biography and he writes about it because he kind of disappeared during that season. You didn't hear of him. Kind of like Rick Moranis after his wife passed away, he just stopped acting. But in the book, he talked about how the sudden passing of his wife, he got his children together. And he said, today, kids, we've been handed a gift. These kids are stunned. Dad, mom just died. It was sudden. It was painful. It was hard. Martin Short said, no, no, no. We've been handed a gift. Because you have faced the most awful, scary, worst thing imaginable as a kid. He said, now, when you go to any college entrance exam, you're not going to be afraid. Now, whenever you go for a job interview, you're not going to be afraid. Whenever you ask that person out on a date, you're not going to be afraid because you face down death as a young child. So what else do you have to be afraid of? Friend, you and you face that compliment. You are facing something so much bigger so that you have nothing else to fear. You see, God's saying that pressure is a privilege when you go through it. Now you're like, I could face this. this we've been here before. We could do this. Now you have spiritual muscle memory. And some of us need to work on our spiritual muscle memory. You've been through worse. And God's been good. He's got you here. And he'll get you to there. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for all the tests and the trials, the temptations. The devil thought they were going to destroy me, but they didn't. We're still here. Still have a heart full of confidence and faith that you're still good. You're still working. And still believing that the best is yet to come. We know that you can do it because you have done it and you will do it. So we thank you for the compliment that you could put this pressure on us, that you chose us. And so, Father, I pray that our church would be better for the pressure. You prepared us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to just pray for us as a body, as a community. You slip up a hand to say, yeah, Pastor, I'm just going through it, and I don't know if I'll persevere, but just pray that I could persevere. Is that you? Oh, amen. Hands up all over. So many hands. So many hands. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. To my right, my left, in the back. You can put your hands down. There's more hands than I expected, honestly, church. You need to persevere under the pressure. Don't fold. Don't give in. Don't quit. Don't walk away. God has so much more inside of you because his Holy Spirit resides there. And this pressure is not gonna take you out. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, my heart is heavy right now seeing the amount of hands going through things, going through sickness, 
going through separation, going through anxiety, going through depression, going through uncertainty, job loss, going through an unknown season with this fear in their heart. And God, I don't know every need, but right now I, I just know that you're good. And I know that right now you are reaching in through the Holy Spirit to touch hearts and lives. And may you whisper to their hearts, to their innermost part of them, and whisper that they can make it. Whisper to them that they can persevere under the pressure, God. Give them the strength in this very moment. Help them to mount up with wings as eagles, to walk and not be weary, to run and not faint, God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Give them that strength this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, give them that hope that they will make it through to the other side. In Jesus' mighty name, we declare and we believe that the best is yet to come in their life. We believe that you have been faithful, you will be faithful, and you will want again. Do it again in their life, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said in agreement. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.